Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure you automatically hear about each episode, sign up for our RSS feed, either at iTunes or on the radio page of our site, or at any of the podcast directories that you utilize for downloading your podcast. Um, and you can, on our site, you can find us at creatingafamily.org slash radio show. Today's show will be Finding Work-Life Balance. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family um, and someone who does struggle with finding work-life balance right along with the rest of you guys. Uh, Creating a Family is a nonprofit providing education, resources, and support for both adoption and infertility, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer does not have to mean losing your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medications and uh, and working through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can go to their website, heartbeatprogram.com, or, of course, you can talk to your doctor, either your oncologist or your reproductive endocrinologist, if, you are, if, you're, if you're at the point where you're now seeing one of those. Hey, we need your help. The single most important thing you can do to help us here at Creating a Family is to rate this podcast on iTunes. So if you have an iTunes account, you can go to your computer, just type in the words Creating a Family, and then rate it. And if you've got a few extra minutes, we would love for you to leave a comment. It is amazingly helpful for helping other people find this podcast. We are the top podcast for infertility and for adoption in the U.S., and we'd like to keep it that way. And I would really appreciate your help. I blog on topics of interest to those involved with either adoption or infertility three times a week. And a recent one you might enjoy is actually today's blog, which is on the art of giving advice to the infertile. And basically, the answer is don't. I go through several typical statements made by well-meaning and and perhaps not so well-meaning friends and family. And this is something in honor of National Infertility Awareness Week, which is this week, by the way. So, To honor the week, join in and add your thoughts and your favorite pet peeve comments of advice that you've received. You can find it at creatingafamily.org slash blog. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including independent adoption centers whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to both birth and adoptive families. They work in 49 states, and they are fully licensed in California, Indiana, Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas. We also have adoptions from the heart. They provide domestic U.S. adoption, home study services, surrogacy in India programs. They also have an embryo placement program, and they have pre- and post-adoption support to both pregnant women and adoptive families. Creating a Family, as you've just heard, is a nonprofit, and one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate information 
and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. You've just heard about our goal sponsors, but we also have plenty of other sponsors, and they're all located on our database. So if you're looking for an adoption agency, an adoption attorney, a therapist, a sperm bank, an infertility clinic, whatever, please make your first stop to creating a family databases. You can find those on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, uh, humanitarian aid, just a whole host of factors that we think are important. And when you use these databases, you support those who support us. And we thank you. As I mentioned, today's show is going to be on finding work-life balance. Our guest today is Ann Bogle. She is author of Work Shift. And she's also a blogger at Modern Mrs. Darcy and a mom of four. We're going to talk today about ideas for modern moms to create balance and blending between their work selves and their family selves. Welcome, Ann Bogle, to Creating a Family. Hi. I'm happy to be here. I really enjoyed Work Shift. I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that. I mean, in fact, honestly, every woman I know um, is striving to figure out, uh, particularly women with children. I think it's easier before we have kids. Um, but every woman I know with kids um, is striving to try to find a balance uh, that they can live with. Uh, and one of the things you do is, well, let me back up here and say, one of the things that you've pointed out and I have certainly noticed as well, it's not just women now who are trying to find balance in their in their lives. You talk about this modern generation of men as well. Um, what, what do you think has shifted? Because I don't think that's always been the case that uh, that the guys are also seeking uh, more balance. What do you think has shifted there? There are a lot of theories. Um, the one I find most compelling is the generational theory that the, like I'm in my 30s, and the idea is that today's 30-somethings really miss their parents when they were growing up. Their parents who were working long hours at the office, especially if the moms were working too, and now that they're adults having families of their own, they just know that's not what I want for my kids. Yeah, I think you may be right. That's an interesting thing. I'm older than you. My kids are now in high school and, and actually even beyond. Um, and you know, it's been a, it's a funny thing. Balance is. I certainly focused a huge amount of my energy and time on it when my children were younger. But you know, even now that they're older, um, I, I still am am striving for that. And I do think, I think I, I think you may have a point on the generational thing. Uh, it's it's uh you know it's not just your generation but my generation it's an interesting it's an interesting shift and i think that the guys have felt it as well yeah and it's and it's something and this may be depressing to, for you to hear but it's not i think a lot of people think that well gosh when my children are you know get into middle school or heaven help me when they're <laughs> when they're when they're driving then surely i'm home free it doesn't really work that way, you know. It's it's cause, uh, parenting, and it's not just the parenting. It's it's trying to achieve balance between all aspects of who we are, and and not just our you know our desire for both either financial or our uh, or emotional mm-hmm. satisfaction from work. Yeah. Um, yeah, you put that really well. And I've talked to a lot of women, especially in the process of writing the book, who don't have kids yet who don't know if they'll ever have kids, and who have teenagers and college students. And I was surprised, like you referenced, to find out how time-consuming teenagers are. 
I kept hearing that if you want to talk to your teen, you need to be available to talk to your teen. And that's, you know, now my kids go to bed at 7 and I see them the next morning. It's just, it's a different season. It is a different season. And, and what it's hard to sometimes realize, even though you can intellectually realize it, but it's hard to really know when your children are especially young because it seems like that season will go on forever. And that is, I always get sick of people talking about oh, the wisdom of age. Uh, and, but the truth is you do. Uh, I do have a better perspective now that uh, each each age and stage of our kids' development brings different rewards and, and different challenges, and, and you're, you're certainly right. Although I, I will say, that I do think it, it certainly before your children start school in, in particular is the, uh, and, and we're going to talk a little about, I know you homeschool, so this is not necessarily directly relevant to you, but um, I do think that when your kids are really little, and uh, I don't know, let me, maybe, let me phrase this in the, in the form of a question. Do you feel like that when your children are really little, it's, it's the most, uh, crucial time for parents on the time in trying to figure out how to balance because the expectation is somebody has to be with uh, a, a child that age 24-7 for the most part. I don't know. Um, I'm hesitant to say it's the most crucial. I think a lot depends on your family situation and your your work situation specifically. I'll tell you what, though, I really resonated with what you said about not really believing that those early years would end. I mean, even though intellectually I knew my kids would get older, I don't think I believed that they actually would, you know, outgrow those yeah. those little years um, until the day my oldest went to kindergarten. He did go to school the first couple of years, and I don't, I didn't think it was going to happen until it happened. I didn't plan like it yeah. was going to happen. I mean, I knew intellectually that he is getting older, but I didn't really believe it. You know, I don't know that you – I mean, in a way, I don't know how much it helps to be able to to really – you can't – other than – and this is pretty much a hallmark of of the book, Work Shift, is uh, allowing yourself to remain flexible – um, and and I think that's about all you can do to prepare. This is to uh, is to reevaluate. One of the things you say is to uh, at least annually step back and take the uh, the big picture view. Um, as a you know when when we're living, we're kind of in the muck. I mean, it's it, it <laughs> great muck. You may love the muck. Oh, maybe we shouldn't say muck. We'll just say it's you know you're you're, you're looking at the flowers up close and personal. But once a year, you suggest stepping back and reassessing and and reanalyzing. Why do you think that's so important? Because things change all the time. Um, one of my favorite quotes is Eisenhower, actually. He says, plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Um, <laughs> and I think that's I love so that. true when it comes to our jobs and our kids and our families. Um, you have to have some idea of where you're going and where you're trying to get and also where you've been. It gives you the perspective you need to some days not sink into despair um, but just to know how to move forward as a family, and that's one of the reasons I think that annual, you know, deliberate review is so important. It doesn't have to be purposeful. It doesn't have to be an executive board meeting. But just to sit back and take stock and really reflect on where you've been and where you're going is really important when you're, you know, yeah. talking about big fluid things like little people and jobs. But and it's not just little people because it's 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 you're you are a family unit and you're marching forth. 
in this world together as a unit. Uh, and, uh, and that's even the case if you were a single parent. You're still a unit. You're a family unit. And, and every member of that, of that tribe is changing. It's not just the kids. I mean, they're getting older. But the parents and, and, and what your desires are and what the demands of, uh, and, and where you've shifted as to what you're wanting and all that. Um, and, I, you know, although you say it doesn't have to be an executive board meeting, I actually think there is an advantage to not treating it perhaps as an executive board <laughs> meeting, but to making certain that there is a time um, that, uh, for us, it was often uh, at the, in August before school started. We did homeschool for a while as well, but even then, uh, we started our school year at a specific time, and we would, uh, uh, my husband and I would sit down and reassess, and you know what is what is working well right now, what needs to be tweaked, and it helped us to have a specific time to do it because otherwise, quite frankly, we would, and this is not everybody, but we just probably would not get around to it. <laughs> no, I understand case. that. Yeah, yeah, for us. Uh, you know, nowadays there are more women in college than there are men, and, and in graduate school even more so, I'm told. Um, and and they they earn the same. Uh, up until when they have children, there really isn't much of a, a gap, a, a wage gap between men and women. And you made a statement in your book that I completely agree with um, as to the reason why um, they're after there is a uh, after women have children then all of a sudden there is a there is a gap when you look at it statistically and you say that when forced to choose between family and work most women choose family uh and i think that is i, I do think that's true i think it's um i think in some ways it is uh frustrating to uh those who want to see that there that women have equal opportunities um but uh i think you're right i think that's the I think that's probably the the crux of of what's happening, um, and yet I do think, and you talk about all the reasons why that women may want to work uh, after they have children. One, quite frankly, is let's be totally honest, is need. I think that it is often very hard for families, at least in the United States now, to make it on on um, on one salary. Um, is that uh, was that one of the factors for you going back to work? Oh, it definitely was, and that's a story I tell in the book. Um, let's see. I quit work when my firstborn child was about ten months old because I just I couldn't do it. Maybe we could have found a way for it to work. I'd like to think we could, but we had the resources for me to quit and that was the easiest thing to do. And what was going on was he was just, we didn't recognize this at the time. We were first time parents. We didn't know how babies were supposed to act. Um, he was a very high maintenance baby. Um, we found out later that he had sensory processing issues, but this was undiagnosed at the time and he never slept like ever, unless you were holding him for longer than 45 minutes. So oh, I was Lord. a zombie. Childcare was a nightmare. Um, and my husband and I were both exhausted, and we said, you know what, it's not worth it. I can go back later. Um, I planned on quitting to stay home when I had him, but my workplace asked me to stay on. Um, I was a long-term employee, relatively speaking, and I handled some financially sensitive tasks that they weren't really eager to let anybody else do. So I thought, well, no big deal. I can do this part-time, and it turned out to be a really big deal. So flash forward about 18 months, I think, um, that, that no, 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 it was about two and a half years. 
um, that child, our firstborn, had um, been very suddenly diagnosed with uh, childhood cancer that was touch and go for a while. He turned out to be fine. Um, but we we didn't really know that at the time. My husband was in grad school. Um, we had a daughter who, let me think, I went back to work after she was born. So we had a six-month-old daughter, and we we were broke, like paying for school and paying for life. And that was eight years ago. But even then, you know, health insurance, groceries, everything got more expensive every year, but more money was not coming in. So we thought, you know what? I could go back to work. Our family was in a more stable place. Um, our kids were on a better routine. And my husband, since he was in school, was working non-traditional hours so he could stay home with the kids while I went to the office three times a week. And that's how I went back to work. It was absolutely financial. But we were surprised. I was especially surprised to find how good it was for me in other ways, not just for the paycheck. I think that that's uh, – I worked part-time when my children were younger. I was an attorney, and I guess I am an attorney, although I'm not a practicing attorney now. And I uh, worked part-time, and for me, it was – I think I was a better mother because of it. I I found that the times for me to challenge my brain kept me very content when I was home and not necessarily challenging. I mean, parenting can be challenging your brain in certain ways, but uh, I found that – uh, being able to utilize that part of me was just very valuable uh, and I think made me a, a better rounded person um, and ultimately a better parent. Um, is that what you mean when you say there were other reasons why that that you found it satisfying? Yes, I'm kind of a nerd. So I read a ton of books and I would talk to friends about things besides, you know, diapers and baby food. Um, but I didn't realize that I wasn't, you know, using this large part of my brain until I got back to work and went, oh, it's nice to think about something other than block towers and Thomas the Tank Engine for a few hours a day. It was it yeah. was a good thing. And it's I wasn't so good to be appreciated that. in that way. I mean, children aren't known for saying, thank you, Mom, for sitting here and building this block tower with me. That was great. <laughs> I really think that it has helped me bond and attach to you, and I feel just mm-hmm. like I'm going to not grow up to be a mass murderer, and it will all be because of you. Mm-hmm. Kids don't say that. Yeah, and that's it. and it was nice to have was, a little autonomy. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, and appreciate follow through on it, regardless <laughs> of whether the baby wakes up. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, you're listening to Creating a Family. We are a nonprofit that provides education and resources for infertility and adoption. We have videos and top ten fact sheets on topics relevant to those involved with either adoption or infertility. And one you might enjoy is our three-step process for choosing an adoption agency, complete with links and questionnaires and all sorts, anything you could possibly want in when choosing an agency. You can find it under the word adoption on the blue horizontal menu at the top of our site, creatingafamily.org. Just click on resources and go to choosing adoption agencies. Um, one of the, I want to spend some time talking about mobile work. Um, you had a, uh, a quote in the book that I absolutely loved. It's, uh, work is increasingly something you do, not some place you go. Uh, and I thought that was a great uh, quote. Um, and I think, as we all know, it, the technology is expanding at an astronomical rate. I mean, uh, you gave some statistics uh, about uh, the um, just within even the last three years, uh, how quickly the technology is making it such that we can, you know, work from uh, just about anywhere. 
Um, now, is your work uh, particularly mobile in the sense of, of that you can do it anywhere? Well, I have a double work life. I still work at the law firm a few days a week, and I it's possible that could be mobile. That's not a direction I want to go with it. Now I only do that work unless I'm taking an emergency phone call or something, but that's not typically the case. Um, it's someplace I go. I do my work, and I leave, and I don't think about it until I go back to work. And I do that a couple of days a week. But I also, um, I'm a writer and a blogger, and I do some editing, and that is on my schedule wherever I choose. I do that some from home, um, but I also do that a lot from, you know, the coffee shop down the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I... Um Having um, lived this life for uh, many years, I'm not so much at this point now, but I, I have spent most of my life there. I always, I, I'm just keenly aware. I mean, I call it the myth of the cherubs. You know, the the myth that people have that when you're working at home, your little darlings are playing quietly for hours at your feet while you can concentrate without interruption at your computer. <laughs> I mean, that is such a, a myth, and so I think that a lot of people. And I talk to a lot of women who are thinking that, okay, um, I can work from home. But the reality is children are a full-time, if not full-time, they certainly demand your time. And it worries me um, when I hear women with that with that notion and, and they think that coming home, that somehow they can just dispense with child care um, and be in the house and be achieving Everything now, and maybe you don't feel as strongly that I do, but this is for my life that was that was just simply not going to happen. I mean, there's still if I was working at home, um, I, it it uh, had to be working around my kids, and the reality is I just didn't have it wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of time to do that. Um, I definitely agree. That? If you, oh yeah. yes, if Good. there are women who who work from home with, while their kids play happily, you know, nearby, uh, I don't know any. And I'm guessing they are few and far between. No, working from yeah. home has many advantages, but just coming home and axing your child care and still getting your work done during what we think of as a traditional work day is probably not going to happen. No, I mean, and we're going to talk about it at the end. I do want to talk to some of the practicality because I really like that section um, of the book, and I, and I think that's important. But before we get to those, um, one of the things I very much also worry about is the fact that because we can be always connected at work and always working, we may end up always working. I mean, uh, it's really hard to draw the lines. I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's always a big topic of discussion, and it's something that changes for me constantly. What, you know, what I do and what I decide my boundaries are. Just because, I mean, I still have, my youngest is three, so he's not as young as they get, but he's still changing really fast. And, you know, seasons of life, school's about to let out for the summer. I'll change my, my default settings. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good reason that it's such a common topic of conversation because everybody deals with it, and there's no one right way to handle it. Yeah. Do you know any statistics on on? Um, I, I don't. So I, I'm wondering on how many women are working non-traditional uh, 
I don't know if it, is it right to say non-traditional work hours or non-traditional work. I don't know what the right hours? way is to say it, but I know what you mean. I think um, I I have not seen any recently. Um, there are some numbers in the book about the number of women who would like to work yeah. part time or would like yeah, to work it. non-traditional work hours. I think those are from 2010 though, and it doesn't speak to um, who's actually doing it. Right, right, right. I'm very curious though. And yeah, I would, it's so easy to do a little bit of work. Um, you know, it's there's just a continuum between doing a, you know, selling 50 bucks a week in an Etsy shop to what we think of as the more high-powered jobs like physicians and attorneys and things like that. But it's hard to say who counts in those statistics and who doesn't. It's a very, yeah, that's actually a very good point, and nobody does keep those statistics. I don't believe. Um, and uh, and I think that you know and and. Uh, one of the things we talked about, uh, or one of the things you talked about in the book, was how to structure work hours, and that's the notion that you just come home and add work to your every. You keep up the same work, uh, and you don't plan for childcare during the day. That type of thing, um, as you and I both point out, is, is probably a a myth. But the uh, but by the same token, the um, there are other ways to structure it. One of the, the way I did it. Was for better or for worse, I worked uh, two hours a. I mean, two hours. Listen to me in my dreams. Uh, two days <laughs> a week, uh, very long days. But that that fit really well with my personality. I could work mm-hmm. um, easily. Twelve was not hard for me at all. And then usually I'd work one twelve hour, one fifteen hour, or something. Mm-hmm. And and for me, I just got more and more done. I would be getting on a roll at that point. Stopping mm-hmm. was always more hard for me. But there are other ways. How have you seen other women do it from a standpoint of, of dividing up uh, either part-time or even full-time work? Mm-hmm. Well, long days is one. Um, one of the benefits of that, um, one of the pain points for me when I went back to work was saying goodbye to my kids. They were fine with me being gone, but the mm-hmm. goodbye was heart-wrenching. So yeah. I immediately thought that's a big advantage of a long day is you only have to do that twice, even though you are working the equivalent of, what, four, four and a half work days? Um, the, the most popular one. No, no, I wasn't. I was filling. I mean, I was aiming for 20, 20, 25 hours a week, okay. so that was okay. a little more than half time. Mm-hmm. Not shabby, though. Um, looking to the margins is the easiest way. If you're If you're working around a traditional framework of eight to five, if you get up early and get started, like in the fives, and some people even do earlier, um, which is hard. I'm a morning person, but there's a difference between waking up in the fours and being a morning person, I think. Um, Boy, I agree with you. The night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. It's like that takes it to me <laughs> to the level of almost fanaticism. I, I do get up at five in the fives now but because, uh, uh, as you say, finding time on the margins is, is yeah. crucial, but Boy, it takes it to fanatical to me when I. But that a, if you love your job, clock? yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I see the four uh, on the alarm clock. I had I go, an oh. old neighbor who loved. I mean, she said she had her dream job. She was the morning announcer on the radio. What do you call those people? The the anchor person. So yeah, that came with the territory. I mean, she woke up at three thirty as long as she had that job. So if you have a reason to get up early, you can probably structure your life around that. But also, staying late on the back end is another popular way mm-hmm. to do it and and i do there are people who really just find they get too worn out and they and just the way their uh their internal clocks work that that's not a good option for me it was getting up early getting in early and staying late on the same day 
Um, mm-hmm. Just, I mean, that wasn't. And then once my husband was home, from my standpoint, it was guilt-free time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and I always looked for as much guilt-free time as I could get. So, you know, once he arrived home and I was already at work, well, then you know, I, why wouldn't I want to stay? From my standpoint, uh, yeah. So, um, so the margins come on the two on the two ends, uh, getting up early and staying late. Uh, so those are some ways. You also did something that you call share care. You want to explain what that means? Sure. Um, what I mean by that is that the husband and wife are able to share the child care of their children um, without bringing in extra help. And we started doing this accidentally. We didn't realize that it was becoming a trend. Um <laughs> When when my husband was doing social work, um, he broke his foot the week before our baby was born, which I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, but he yeah, couldn't be with the kids. Yes, definitely. Um, as a result of that, he ended up working third shift for a season. So he would go into work 10 or 11 at night. It's been a while. I don't even remember. But he would go into work after our kids went to bed. And he would get home at 6 a.m., and he would go to sleep. And I would have pretty much a normal morning with the kids. We didn't want to wake Daddy. But other than that, we had a normal day, just like Daddy was at work, which is what I was used to. And then um, he would wake up, and I would go into the... Oops. I think we're having... Oh, go ahead. You blanked out there for a second. So you. you, Oh, no. Okay. Um, we so had you would go, he, when he woke up, you would yeah. go into your uh, your law, law office job? Mm-hmm, I would, which I did five hours at a time, not not full eight-hour days. And then I'd come home. We'd have dinner as a family. We'd have an evening. The kids would go to bed. We'd have some time, and he'd go to work. We'd do it again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to look just like that. Um, the first person that I knew that did this professionally was my hairstylist, who um, I mentioned her in the book. Her name's Erica. And she had the bug planted in her ear before she ever had kids. Um, she had a coworker that she was surprised to find out came into work at 6 o'clock in the morning to cut mostly professional women's hair. Because mm-hmm. she was shocked because nobody does that, right? Salons open at 10. But the clients really liked it. They could get it in early. They could have great looking hair for the day at the office. Um, you know, they didn't. Yeah, have when I read about that, I thought Saturday. That's a real, yeah, that's a great idea. I thought I would not ever really yeah. thought about getting my hair cut. Well, early no, early. I didn't either until I found out yeah. this was Erica's work-life balance, and her husband worked second shift, so she'd have nearly a full workday. She'd do six to one, and. He wasn't. He learned how to French braid and, you know, pick out girl school uniforms that match because they had two daughters. And he'd go to second shift. They both mm-hmm. worked nearly full time. So she said that their weekends were really special because they didn't see each other very much during the week. But they've done that for nearly 10 years. That's working for their family. Well, you raise a really interesting point, and one I wanted to, to to raise, and that is when you're doing share care, particularly in the case like with Erica, and well, and you and your husband back when, although the way your schedules worked, it you did have time together. But I, I know of uh, a number of couples who are tag teaming it in a way that they have very little time. Um, because one of them is not working over the sleeping hours, I think maybe and now that you're as I'm thinking about it, maybe that's the key here, but um they have very little time together, so at what i mean how do you nurture your relationship 
uh, your marital relationship, and, and you know, because that to me is so key in um, in parenting. I, I believe in the theory that the greatest gift you can give your children is a uh, strong and steady relationship with their mm-hmm. with your with your spouse, their their the other parent. Um, and it, if you're if you're tag teaming it in such a way that you don't have time together, then you become almost just a working unit, not a not a, a family unit, not a marital unit. Mm. Yeah, I've heard the phrase "high functioning roommates" applied to some relationships, which well, that wouldn't yeah. be what I wanted. We may have a high functioning marriage, but I don't want to be roommates, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, I think some couples could never sustain. Um, like Erica's situation that we just talked about. I think it depends on your personality and what your family's like, what your kids are like. And if it's not working for you, then maybe you need to find another way to do things. Um, I think you have to recognize when it's time to make a change. Um, A lot of times I can endure something that may not be my preference if I know it's just for a season. Um, Like, let's say I wasn't going to see... That's a really if you know it's just a season, yeah. you can make it through. But yeah. if it's for the foreseeable future, that can be really tough. And mm-hmm. I I think you, if it's not working, you need to figure out what you can change or figure out what some other options are. Even if you can't make the change right away, knowing that you have hope and options can keep you going. You are listening to Creating a Family. We're a weekly radio show podcast on adoption and infertility. Um, this show, as well as all of the resources brought to you by the Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our sponsors, including Children's Connections. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation and, and slash adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the U.S., we also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have offices in California, Colorado, and South Carolina, and they have adoption programs uh, literally throughout the world. They also have a domestic infant, and they also and a, their, their uh, uh, infant, their uh, well-known Snowflakes Embryo Donation Embryo Adoption Program. Um, I'd like to talk some about the uh, practicalities because I really thought that was one of the strongest uh, parts of the book because although I happen to like all the the research and, you know, how we got here and uh, the notion of of how work is changing, the meaning of work and and all that type of stuff, I find that fascinating. But I really thought that some of the the most valuable part was the uh, practicalities of how people both – you as well as other people have made it work. One of the things you say that uh, has become a mantra of my own because I, I really didn't realize the importance of it until I started having children, and that is having a set routine. I want, can you talk a little about why that is important? Oh, sure. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because I worked full-time recently, planned. A coworker was honeymooning, so it was the best possible reason, but... I was reminded how much I like my routine and how stressful it is to be off one. Um, (laughs) The basic idea is that when it comes to your personal resources, you have to manage your time and you have to manage your energy. And for many people, I'm hesitant to say everyone, but I wouldn't be surprised, um, figuring out how you're going to live with your life drains your energy really quickly. 
if you know the basic shape of your life, if your child care is in place, if your kids know what's going to happen when they get up in the morning and you know what's going to happen when you get up in the morning, you can use your energy to live your life instead of figuring out logistics. That's the beauty of a good routine. Well, and, you know, when we talked about, you know, looking to the margins, well, you, if you don't have a routine, you don't know where your margins are. I mean, that's not the – perhaps that's not the most important reason for having a routine, but – where do you know to where do you find where you've got extra time if you don't know how things are going to be get getting done in general mhm well and if you do have extra time or speaking for myself here but even if i do have extra time if i am emotionally exhausted i can't do anything real productive with it yeah. maybe i could answer some emails or watch gilmore girls but you know Work on, you know, a great piece of writing is not going to happen if my brain is zonked. Well, watching Gilmore Girls is actually a high-quality use of my time. <laughs> I've already been through the season. I've already been through it at least twice now, so I can uh, – I've moved on, not necessarily to bigger and better things, but to certainly to some other things. Um, well, I'm on season three. Thanks for the affirmation. Oh, it is – oh, yeah, yeah. No, you'll – I loved it. In fact – of uh, uh, my, uh, uh, I have four kids and two of which are girls, and my two daughters and I. Uh, that was a mother-daughter uh, thing that we just loved and watched it. Actually, not all of it together, but most of it, uh, most of oh, all the fun. seasons. Yeah, it was. It was a whole lot of fun. Um, and, and another reason that I think that routines are so valuable is that, and again, it's. I know that for myself. Just the mundane things like getting the laundry done and going to the grocery store don't happen unless I schedule them. Mm-hmm. Another reason that's only just come come to my attention, really, is some personality types don't do well if they don't know what's coming next. I recently uh. wrote about this on my blog because I had this big epiphany that one of my children um, not only what what happened was I could tell that he got really anxious if he didn't know what was coming next, what was going to happen for the day, what was going to happen for the month. And I was thinking about going to a family therapist to talk about it because I wondered what he was worried about. And I finally realized he's not worried about anything. He's a solid, two feet on the ground, concrete thinking kid, and he he is just one of the personality types that wants to know what's coming next. And yeah. Once I realized that, I mean, we we can work with that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with me. He just wants a good routine. So for some people, it really is a need. It's not just, you know, desirable. It's a need. You know, um, there's some great books. I, I also was blessed with a child. It was my first child, and I realized very quickly that she flourished when we had a routine when we didn't have a routine and i could i was a little more loosey goosey just by personality i kind of wanted to <laughs> maintain the options for spontaneity and and yeah. just kind of wanted to be lazy i guess and and it worked you know and it particularly worked because at the time i just had one child and but it didn't work for her because transitions were were just difficult for her and and if she knew what the transition was because it was a steady routine she in her own way would start preparing for that, uh, or at least the battles with every transition were less because they happened daily, I suppose. Maybe that's another way to say it. But uh, hmm. I think my child and me might have followed in your old footsteps. That sounds well, very familiar. It, yeah. there is. I will recommend a book. Uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called How to Raise Your Spirited Child. 
Um, oh, yes. That's a good one. It, w- it was an excellent book for me, and it helped me appreciate. And there's another book. In fact, I just, I've interviewed uh, Mary Kuchinka as, uh, a number of times on this show, and then there's another book. I don't particularly like the title. It's called The Explosive Child. Um, uh, and uh, the, although the title I don't particularly like, the content, uh, the guy's name is, uh, he's out of Harvard. He's, a, uh, I think, a psychiatrist in, at Harvard, uh, Dr. Ross Green. And um, he he also talks about the, that, I, well, I think he'd probably say most personalities need a certain amount of routine, but that there are certain kids who truly need the routine because the, the, it is exhausting for them to constantly be uh, scanning the horizon trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, so I do think, yeah, that's kind of a, another issue. But, you know, there's a funny thing is that I, I did not think that I was a person who really needed routines. And when I first really started developing routines, I did it as because I, my daughter needed it. And I thought, okay, well, this is what parents do. Duh, I'm the parent. Mm-hmm. And you can't expect a little kid to change. You can as an adult. Do, you, you should be the one who changes. But what I found is that I, much to my surprise, flourished. Uh, well, maybe that's an overstatement, but I, I, I really enjoyed having the routine, and I found that uh, my productivity and my contentment increased uh, because I could. Uh, I too apparently needed it on some level, not because I struggled with the transitions, because I didn't, but I, um, knowing that there would be food, because I had actually had a schedule of time to go to the grocery store as opposed to waiting until we were, you know, pretty much out of everything, um, was helpful, you know, duh. And, you know, yeah, not having to, I really not having to, to figure out how to rewear a pair of underwear because that was the only clean pair in the house, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, all of that was, you know, actually quite nice, you know. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> I yeah. found that the, the more decisions I can eliminate in advance, the more that frees my mind up to think about other things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I'm not systematic or ruthless about this. You know, like Steve Jobs is famous for the the black turtleneck and the jeans. And yeah. I'm not sure if he said this or if it was attributed to him, but mental energy that could have been used up on clothes was spent dreaming up gadgets instead. So that's, that's well, a good trade-off yeah, if you're Steve Jobs. Yeah, and exactly. I need to find the equivalent say, in my own life. Yeah, but I, I, I do – care a little more about clothes than that so for me that would be <laughs> but i certainly well, get fine. The, you yeah. can just know you do your grocery shopping on tuesdays and not think about it again yeah exactly although you know again i'm, I'm feeling a little guilty having just said use that as an example because the truth is um that particular child uh has has uh graduated from high school so i and you know the funny thing was i i have slipped a lot with <laughs> I mean, I, but I still think what I said, uh, I don't actually have a set time to go to the grocery store. But <laughs> other than that, I, st- I do have routines. Um, so we're talking about the kind of some of the practical things that one could do. One is setting up routines. Um, the other one uh, you talk about is, uh, is uh, and one that I believe in so much, and that is having a quiet time every afternoon. Uh, regardless, it's not a nap time. Um Nap times are fine, uh, but when your children outgrow naps, they don't outgrow the need for quiet time. Uh, and uh, as a parent, I certainly know that I was a better parent if I knew that uh, for an hour and a half every afternoon I was going to have a break. Uh, so that was one of your other suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we homeschool, so that's 
that's a must for us. I do want to say, though, I, I think I made a lot of people nervous in the past when I say so confidently we have a quiet time every day. We had to work up to that. Um, I didn't, my firstborn never really napped until he was maybe two. So he wasn't, sleep was always a struggle. It wasn't until my kids were older that we instituted the quiet time as a sanity saving measure for me and probably <laughs> for them. But we started with 10 minutes and we built up from there. And now we have the two hours every afternoon. That is um, a really important piece of my work-life balance. I get a lot done during those two hours because it's and planned it for. You, I know what I'm going to do. Um, but we did actually have a, from the very beginning, um, after uh, we transitioned from NAPS, um, my kids did. I didn't have one that didn't nap at all. That would have been a challenge. But when they stopped napping, I had to actually make quiet time. I'll give some hints here of how I did it. I had to make quiet time earlier because I didn't want at the point she was giving up naps. If it was late in the afternoon, she'd fall asleep, and then I wouldn't, mm-hmm. and she'd be up too late at night. So we would have to uh, do it in the morning. I would have toys uh, that uh, I would put a few toys that she would only be able to play with during our day. I should, I'm using my eldest as an example, but I did this for all of my kids. They would uh, have to play alone someplace, and we didn't have a room for all of them. Um, We had shared bedrooms, so we had different parts uh, of the house that each child could call their own. We had toys that were only utilized during that time, so there was something to look for. And I rotated them um, Mm -hmm. so that they only – there was something they truly looked forward to. Uh, we would uh, – we were big utilizers of the library. We would have – I mean, I would literally check out – (laughs) 50, 60 books at a time. I mean, they would, so they would have their own, you know, they had books during that time. And uh, I think that because it was something that we routinely did, and I don't, we don't remember exactly, but I don't think we ever got up to two hours, although it sounds really nice. Um, (laughs) I don't think we ever were that uh, good about getting up there, but I, I really think my children enjoyed it as well. I did not use TV during that time. Um, but I think that they also were looking forward to it, and they also uh, would become rejuvenated because it was time that they were just going to be alone. Um, and uh, one kid in particular was into Playmobil, and we would let mm-hmm. him uh, underneath the uh, dining room table was his Playmobil land, and he could set up his ex- exhaust, ex- extensive of his, uh, <laughs> of his world that he created. And we would allow it to stay there for as long as you know he was playing with that particular thing. And um, and it was such that, that nobody was not in a room that everybody else went into. So anyway, there are just some ideas of what you can do to try to, um, and I do think it, uh, your, your point's probably well taken, that if it's something new, um, that for your family, working into it would probably be a, you know, a good thing. And, and looking forward, the other thing we did was to try to have a, something to look forward to. We kind of had a uh, something that we all enjoyed uh, as a uh, was the transition out of quiet time. So it gave us all something to look forward to uh, together, be it a, a bike ride or going to the park or mm-hmm. uh, curling up on the book, uh, curling up if we were reading a chapter book together and reading a chapter or something like that. So that um, kind of gave something to look forward to, yeah, towards the end. Um, can you share some other practical tips for finding, creating, um, uh, squeezing more work uh, without, I think the, your section is called squeezing in more work time without sque- without adding child care or something. Mm-hmm. Did I not quote, did I quote it close? Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, 
well, I'm going to keep saying it because it's the simplest way, is to look to the margins. You know, getting up early is the, I mean, it's the easiest way to get more done without hiring childcare. Um, it's something I do now. It's not something I've always done. But if I get up at five, I can count on two solid hours before my kids get up, and that's really productive time for me. Um, if I get up at six, that's one solid hour before my kids get up. Um, staying up late is another way, but that's not, and it works great for some people. It doesn't work as well for some people, and there's many theories why. Um, the one that I find most compelling is that we start each day with a finite amount of willpower and by 9 p.m. it's it's gone we we're gonna you know as good as Gilmore Girls might be it is not paying work and at 10 p.m. when we're exhausted if we're not in bed um, we're gonna choose Gilmore Girls over writing an essay or you know working on the books or whatever it is we do Um, it's not gonna we don't have the self-discipline left in our tank at the end of the day to make ourselves do it Um, swapping with a friend is a really good idea Um, it works well for a lot of people and you don't have to pay for that Um, a way to add in some time for some people is like we go to a summer pool and as a member of the pool i get two hours of free childcare every day and they think that i'm going to go to a yoga class or go have lunch when i put my kids in childcare but i could just as easily take my laptop and get some coffee and do two hours of work um i work remotely so mm-hmm. i could absolutely do that um Wow, I hate to say this, but it's a last-ditch resort. Um, Sometimes when you have to get something done, if you're not a family that watches a lot of TV, that is a great time for a movie. Pop some popcorn, put on a movie. Instead of crashing on the couch, you you can get something done in 90 minutes. I don't think a little bit of media is bad. And if you're very careful about how much your family consumes, because I do think that's a big issue, um, that's that's not they'll probably have fun and you can get something done there's there's all kinds of way to do it there's more suggestions in the book yeah but, there are and I, but uh, once me, you start thinking about you. yeah what the possibilities are um something i found recently that surprised me was we started ordering um we just tried out one of those art kit companies you pay 20 bucks they send a prepackaged craft kit to your house and mm-hmm. my first thought was I can go to the craft store and put that stuff together. But that takes time, and that's not as much fun for whatever reason. If it comes in the mail in a box, it's a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of work done last week because the hour project it was supposed to be entertained my girls all afternoon. And um, I got a ton done because they were absorbed in this art project. They were doing something that I was thrilled that they were spending their time on and I was working I had to pay for that but it was well worth it for me I I could have traded places with a friend and had her put something a project together for my kids and I could have done something for hers and since their mama didn't make it they would think it was great so that would be another another way to give your kids a project or an activity um, that's at their age level that they can do. It wouldn't work for a two-year-old, but once you hit about four with a lot of kids, that's a great way to get something done. They've yeah, got their and job, and you've got yours. Yeah, and that's, I was thinking we did some of that loosely uh, during our quiet time, but I, I like what you're saying, and that is, you know, you're working nearby, and they are. It's not even during your quiet time. It's a way of getting, um, uh, scooping out a little bit of time, and they're thoroughly enjoying it as well. I mean, it's a, it's 
it's a good time. How about just the uh, how often do you use childcare, and if so, what type of childcare? You've mentioned like at the uh, local gym um, or, or summer pool thing uh, that, that you utilize that, which is you know uh, childcare. Um, what other type of childcare outside of um, between your husband and you um, do you mm-hmm. utilize, or do you see your friends utilizing? Oh. I've just made a change in the past little bit. Um, my husband started a new job back in October, and we wanted to give it a little while to see what our new family life would actually be like um, before we made any big changes. And then late winter, I brought on um, a mother's helper to help me with um, – I told her I wasn't really sure at first. We'd just see how it went. But she's helping me homeschool. Um, she's doing my laundry. And she's watching the kids occasionally while I will sneak away and write for 60, 90 minutes. Um, We do that twice a week now for four hours at a time. Um, My husband watches the kids while I go to the office. So this is really – I mean, she does some household tasks that benefit my husband as well, but they come come in during times that I would otherwise be with the kids. I didn't think at first I wanted homeschool help, but the reason that this is the direction I chose to go, and, you know, it's fluid. This is what we're doing now, but we'll see if it's still working for everybody in May and June. Um, Yeah, appreciate that. Is I found that I could um, do the fun part of homeschooling or the intensive part. I could do the writing lessons and the reading lessons and go over, um, you know, their compositions and their complex math problems with the kids where she can – make sure my five-year-old is holding her pencil correctly and she can run through the multiplication tables and she can do any flashcard work and she can squeeze the spelling words. You know, it doesn't, I like homeschooling Mm -hmm. my kids, but it doesn't break my heart that I'm not the one hearing the timetables. But I found that we could get through the, yeah, the Sorry. fun part of the, you know, yeah, you know, after you get into about two, the two times tables, you know, it really gets mundane. Okay, let's just be honest. <laughs> mm, yes, yes, it does, and I love my kids, but you know, they can tell the times tables to someone else. That is fine by me, and I think it's also good for them to hear they're doing a good job from someone who's not their parent, and to be told that they got the wrong answer from someone who's not their parent. I. I think that's a good thing. Um, but we can get through our homeschool day a lot faster. So during rest time, I don't need to dip in and out of um, each kid's individual place, helping them wrap up their schoolwork, especially now that my, my oldest is in fourth grade. So it's a lot different from kindergarten where, I mean, you teach them to read and some math, and that's really that that's what you do when they're in kindergarten. But we have a lot of work in fourth grade now. I know I'll be laughing at myself in five years saying that about fourth grade, but right now it feels like a lot of work. But we can wrap it up before rest time if I have help. Um, How did you find your your child? Because I think one of the challenges um, uh, families face, I almost said women face, but I think that it's what I liked about the book was that it shifted it from thinking about what women needed but as to what families need. Or For me, that's something I got out of the book, and I – um, I found that very heartening. So, but one of the things that families struggle with is how to find uh, a mother's helper, or how to find uh, not full-time childcare. Uh, so, mm-hmm. what suggestions would you have there? To to plug into your own community. Um, when I first started asking, I asked on Facebook, and I would vet those references very carefully. But it's a good way to find. You know, this is what I'm looking for. 
this is what I'm paying. This is my area of town. You know, who do you know? Um, mm-hmm. I would plug in, like for me, I knew to plug into the homeschool community. I didn't know those those people, but I knew people who did. And like a homeschool teenager would be perfect for what I was asking for. Another way that a lot of my friends have found childcare, and this was my plan, um, if I didn't find someone in the homeschool community for my mother's helper, is many, many colleges and universities have employment boards or specific childcare lists mm-hmm. where students who want to babysit or wash windows or tutor German, anything, mm-hmm. can tell their school and their school will put out a bulletin. It's done in different ways. Sometimes there are physical job boards. Sometimes there are email newsletters. But that's been a great way in my circle of friends and professional acquaintances to find people. I know many like professional working mothers who do this every summer, and it works for them. So they can yeah. be doctors and lawyers and you know jobs where you have to show up. You can't just phone it in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's working for them. And and yeah, I, I think it's a great uh, a great reference. Here's a question we got from Tara. She says, "It looks like I will be either let go or changed to half time, which is the same thing ultimately in my case because I won't be able to afford to be able to take care of myself and my son. She's a single mom, um, so I'm starting a job search. It would be much easier to find a good job if I looked all over the country and went to wherever there is work." However, I'm the single parent of an almost two-year-old. My expertise involves academic event planning, which will always mean working some evenings and weekend hours. If I limit my job search to my home area, I will have the help of family and friends, but I don't want to live there. Should I do the mature thing, uh, let's see, should I do the mature thing, which is work in a place that I don't want to live and a possible job I don't want to do so that my son will be around family, or should I cannot should I go where there may be a better job in a place where I want to live, uh, as I balance work and raising my son alone with no nearby help? Uh, anyway, I, I thought that was an interesting. I mean, one of the I do want to actually address uh, Tara's question, but one of the things I thought as I was uh, reading uh, Work Shift was that in many ways. It, my uh, eldest son has a saying which I find annoying when he says it to me, but but in many ways I, I will use it even though I do find it annoying. Mm-hmm. He says if I'm complaining about something, uh, not always, but more often than I like, he'll say, well, that's a, a, that's a first world problem, Mom. Uh, and with some <laughs> you, know, you just want to clobber him. But the, uh, the truth is it did occur to me that the whole notion of of, of blending and trying to figure out how to uh, blend and work less and all that isn't something that really is an option for uh, for all women and for all families. Um, and I, it, I was aware of that and was thinking about that some, but it is a, but it is that's not to say that it isn't an issue for for others. So uh, and I don't know if if um, you feel like you have any input for Tara, but since she asked the question, I thought I would read it for as a single mom. Um, the value of uh, having uh, help both family and friends in a network of support, uh, if wanting to work, she does have uh, the need for flexible hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Any thought there? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say I think it's good to acknowledge um, when we're talking about first world problems. 
and let that be understood, but without letting it shut down the conversation. So exactly. that's a good, something good to point out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think so. I tell him that when he says it to me, I say, well, it may be a first world problem, and you're right. It, it, it's not necessarily that, that, you know, that, that something is going to, you know, that I will not have food or I will not have a place to sleep or clean water. On the other hand, it is something that I'm thinking about right now, and while maybe not life shattering, it is something, you know, it, it, we don't need it to be a, 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 a conversation stopper, right? Right, right. It's yeah. great to have choices, but, yes, there's tension in those choices. Um, listening, wow, I'd want to ask Tara some follow-up questions, but I would say that women want to stay in the workforce when they love their jobs. She's going to be in the workforce no matter what. Um, how much she's going to like this job, because her field sounds fascinating, um, is going to be a big factor in whatever she chooses. And I would just encourage her, um, from my experience and from the experience of so many women and men everywhere, but I think this trips women up more, not to make decisions um, as a people pleaser and not to make big decisions out of guilt. Only she can answer her question, but I think mm-hmm. she'll be happier if she's cognizant of those, you know, those big pitfalls if she makes her choice. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very good. Um and the um uh, uh, yeah. And there may be other options to think about if indeed she really would be happier elsewhere. Networks can be reestablished. Family is a lot harder. I mean that that is a single parent, that's a much harder one. Um but uh networks of friends uh, that can be supportive um, might well be reestablished wherever she goes. Well, yes. we have and if she really was plugging into academia, that's a great place to find help. Boy, that's the truth. To yeah, find exactly. a network of people who would be able to hook her up with the the uh, uh-huh. resources she needs to root herself and to find good child care for her two-year-old. Right, Exactly. Well, we have come to the end of our time. Thank you so much, Ann Bogle, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. Oh, it was uh, my pleasure. You, Thank you. If you, uh, if you actually, Ann, or if anybody else who's listening to this wants to participate in discussion of the topic of this show, check out my blog tomorrow. It will be on the topic of the show, creatingafamily.org slash blog. I know everybody wants to go out and get a copy of the book, Workshift. You can get it. It's an e-book. Um, and you can get it off of Amazon.com. You can also link to it uh, off of uh, Anne's page and her blog. I, I have enjoyed very much and uh, recommend it to you, ModernMrsDarcy.com. Did I say that right, Anne? It's Modern yes, Mrs. Darcy. Did. Yeah, perfect. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can connect with me at Dawn Davenport one or you can also connect with Creating a Family at, at Creating a Family. Uh, on Facebook, there are three ways you can connect with us. One, Dawn.Davenport1. We also have a Creating a Family Facebook page and a Creating a Family Facebook support group. The easiest way to get to both of the page and the support group is to just type in the words Creating a Family in the Facebook search box. And both you can, from there, like the page and then join the group uh, and participate in our discussions. Uh, To stay in touch with the latest developments uh, in the areas of adoption or infertility, as well as just topics like this, just kind of life topics, parenting topics, uh, you can sign up for our biweekly newsletter at creatingafamily.org, or some people would just prefer to send us an email and ask to be added, and that's okay, too. You can send it to info at creatingafamily.org. 
The UN estimates that there are 143 million orphans in the world, including 107,000 currently available for adoption in the U.S. foster care system. These kids, as well as the millions of older children throughout the world, deserve a home. To get more information about the U.S. children waiting for a family, you can go to the adoption resource page of creatingafamily.org, where we include links to various photo listings of some of these kiddos. Thank you for joining us today. I have truly appreciated it. I will see you next week. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.